Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. Hi, everyone. It's Roxanne Durhage of Authentic Living with Roxanne. Thanks for tuning in again this week. With us today, I have a special guest, Jenna Shalman. Hi, Jenna. How are you? Hi, Roxanne. I'm great. How are you? Good, good. Jenna is located in Washington State. So we were we chatted a little while back and we're just kind of catching up of how things have progressed and then they have progressed a, a fair amount, um, you know, where she is and she's just kind of seeing where things are at with us here in Canada. So I'm going to talk, Jenna has a a specific subset, or I shouldn't say subset, but a specialty with millennials, and she's also millennial, which, um, you know, being of a different generation, um, I think learning from someone like her about leadership is key. So let me tell you a little bit about her background and what we're going to be talking about today. She's obviously passionate about millennials, and she thinks that the her generation her generation received the short end of the stick when it comes to um, managing um, student uh, loan debt, uh, building financial stability, and even more so now in the time we're at, and having the confidence to travel down the road less traveled. Uh, the challenges that uh, they faced are system- systematically brought uh, about by the financial crisis in 2008, which we're all now into this new crisis, um, and inflated college tuitions and the constant need to, uh, to feel validation. Um, the boomer parents uh, raised us hoping that there would be more relative economic and financial stability so our generation could prosper more than they did. And that's so telling as we talk about this new, well, I don't know what time we're going to call it, Jenna. Has, have you, has anybody come up with a term yet about how we're gonna, what we're going to call this? It's just, I don't know, the, the corona pandemic, I guess, the COVID yeah. pandemic. Yeah. I'm yeah. kind of, I'm actually calling it the, uh, it's almost like the quote unquote, like silent war of our generation. Yeah, that, yeah. that's a good point because it really, to some degree is a, as a war that we have to collectively work together mm-hmm. to fight because it's not, it's not the known enemy, but it's really something that's there that it's really calling. I think from a really a global perspective that we really work in a unified way um, to be able to figure this out because there's going to be implications um, on all of us um, individually, collectively um, as countries and as a world, because after this is done, not only would there be economic implications, but of, of course, physical and psychological implications mm-hmm. and the aftermath of any kind of like to your point war, there's, there's all the shrapnel that's left behind. Mm-hmm. And, and I've talked to a lot of my friends too, and, and we believe that everything that's going on right now is really going to change and reshape our society okay, so as, a, as, as a world and as you know, the United States and as a, a Western organization or a Western so, country. So tell me, you know, you've been talking to people and let's, let's dive right into kind of yeah. your, you know, as a millennial and, and she has a podcast, uh, which we'll, we'll get into a little bit more. Um, how do you think as millennials, like you said, you know, you guys kind of got a bit of a deck that maybe in my time when I um, kind of was in university and coming out, there was, there was an abundance to, to jobs. It kind of, you know, when I graduated in the eighties, it was kind of, 
get the degree, get the education, and you really can kind of guide your career. That unfortunately is not what's happened, what's happened with millennials um, in, in this time. So this economic shift is going to do what now in this space to millennials? Have you had any conversations uh, like that with other uh, millennials or leaders uh, in millennial uh, positions right now? Yeah, absolutely. I kind of want to want to go back and 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 kind of share a little bit about um, you know what what you mentioned earlier about how millennials, how I believe millennials kind of got the short end of the stick, and then that can kind of lead into this conversation. So, sure. I mean, I I personally feel like me, my friends, my network of millennials, most of us graduated around the time of the recession, right? Anywhere from a few years before to a few years after was typically our undergraduate. Uh, you know, time where we graduated. So I graduated in 2008. And, mm. you know, I came into the recession, I came into a time where there weren't any jobs. My, my thought process was, well, I'm going to go back to school and get a master's degree. And that's what a lot of people in my network mm -hmm. did, because we were praised for getting bachelor's degrees, right? We were validated for getting bachelor's degrees. And college was fun and we like learning. So we decided to go back to school because there are no jobs. So we might as well learn more. And then when the recession's over, I think a lot of us thought, great, we'll get a really high paying job and everything will be fine. But something that, uh, you know, didn't necessarily happen for a lot of us is that a lot of us weren't able to get one, either a job after all of this happened or a good paying job. Mm -hmm. A lot of us came out of debt or came out of school with thousands of dollars of student loan debt. I was just shy of about 40,000, which I've learned from talking to someone in higher education who actually studies this, that that's actually low. <laughs> it, oh, it low. absolutely is. On average, you, you'd hear, especially uh, a lot of times in the U.S. Uh, uh, institutions compared to ours, because a lot of ours in here is funded, but the average that I hear when somebody, my, um, my niece actually did chiropractic um, in the U.S., and I think it was upwards of $150,000 for by the time she was done. Yep. I just talked to um, a colleague yesterday who's uh, over in um, the, the East Coast of the United States, and he said that when he left his undergraduate program, he was close to $400,000 in debt. My student goodness. loan debt. And then when he uh, married, his wife had about 200000 So they assumed $600,000 in student loan debt. That's the highest that I've heard. Wow. So I was lucky to only have, what, less than 40000 But for me, that was just too much in general to, to be in debt, right? And then you mm -hmm. also have to look at my retirement investments. I didn't really have any because I wasn't mm -hmm. really taught about any of those things and the benefits of having investments and working with a planner, really being smart with your smart with your money in terms of an investment standpoint. A lot of boomers went into a workforce that didn't really require a professional degree, right? There's only a certain percentage of boomers that have a professional degree, which is great. A lot, the rest of them were able to get really great jobs that mm -hmm. offered good pay. So for example, my dad, he worked for Washington State Ferries for 46 years. Yeah. 46 years, by the way. Oh my God. And, you know, he, he did well. He was paid well. You know, we lived a very normal middle-class family. My mom barely had to work. You know, mm -hmm. we had a nice house in the suburbs. We were able to do all these things as a kid off of his one salary. Now he's retired and he has this insane pension. 
right? Yeah. And, and it, when you compare, you know, those opportunities that a lot of boomers had, those same opportunities are not there for millennials. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand boomers have their own challenges. I understand that. But I think what there's a huge discrepancy between boomers and millennials is that I think a lot of boomers think that we are very into ourselves and mm-hmm. that we don't work hard and that we complain a lot and that we're not responsible because we can't buy homes and we can't settle down and all these things. But I feel like one of the reasons why maybe we're not able to achieve a lot of those things that boomers were able to achieve was because we didn't have the exact same opportunities and we were hit mm-hmm. with a lot of hardships like the recession, like the fact that more people in our generation have bachelor's degrees than boomers do, right? So that mm-hmm. means a bachelor degree is saturated. Okay. We have more student loan debt and inflation has gone up so much where in, in a lot of cities in Washington, in United States, such as Seattle, San Francisco, LA, New York, it is so hard to buy a home, mm-hmm. to own property, mm-hmm. right? You need to put right. down a hefty amount in order to, you know, be considered. And now we're at this pandemic, mm-hmm. <laughs> this coronavirus where a lot of millennials are in their 30s right now, right? 25 right. to let's just call it 38, 39, 40, yeah. right? So a lot of them are in their 30s and they're finally starting to get established, right? They're finally starting to, you know, be in that place where they're feeling good. And now a lot of them, a lot of us, everybody in general, we're getting laid off, mm-hmm. right? We can't pay our rent. We, you know, can't pay our credit cards. We can't pay our student loan debt. So this pandemic is pushing our generation and the generation below us back even further. A scary thought, right? Like, I mean, I'm probably close to your parents' age and um, kind of looking at, you know, not retirement, but not too far off down the road. So different spot, but... Mm -hmm. You know, and if you're just, it's kind of like you're coming up for air, which is kind of where the millennials are. And they're kind of, you know, getting situated. Okay, I'm paying, maybe I've paid down a lot of the debt if they're, you know, if they've been lucky and they've kind of found a senior position. And, and then two and a half weeks ago, the switch goes out and, yep. you know, and then, you know, the, the world is trying to recalibrate. And I know you've had in, in the U.S., like in Canada, there's a lot of stimulus packages. But the thing is, what it's doing is it's truly, literally, um, you know, we're doing as much as we can to keep the economy afloat. However, it's like the economic crisis of 2008. How long is it going to take? Mm-hmm. And, you know, with a lot of companies, kind of the, the middle companies not being, I, I think a lot of them won't survive. What's going to happen to, what's our unemployment, what's your unemployment going to look like? And what's our unemployment going to look like? And how long will it take? I've heard, I've heard as much, and I don't know if you've heard this, as much as 18 to 24 uh, months before mm-hmm. we're ready kind of be able to to kind of realize any kind of growth happening again. Mm-hmm. Well, just the, the numbers in the U.S. have been staggering. So before the, before this pandemic, unemployment in the United States was low in general. It was like mm-hmm. four or five percent, something mm-hmm. like that as a whole across all different types of, of specialties. Um, in Seattle, unemployment has been low for years since mm-hmm. probably like 2015 with unemployment around like three to four percent, depending on types of jobs. But now so many people are losing their jobs. You know, they're estimating that unemployment employment could be like 20% in the United States pretty soon. Um, I watched a news report that said that last week, there are 7 million more Americans that applied for unemployment. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and so, yeah, I agree with you. I think that this pandemic right now is really going to take a huge toll and it could potentially take a longer toll than the 2008 crisis. And it could take, you know, a year and a half to two years for people to really get back on their feet. Absolutely. And, and then you have people, let's say you're a millennial and you're finding in that entry level leadership position, and maybe you're, you know, you're kind of finding your, your, your grounding and then you lose that, hopefully you can go back to that position. But if you, mm -hmm. if you, if you can't, then you're kind of out there with a whole lot of other educated millennials trying to find the same level of position. It, it sounds dire. It, it mm -hmm. really does. But, mm -hmm. you know, let's go back to that whole concept of, I, you know, I recently went to a, 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 um, a provincial or a federal uh, HR conference here in, in Toronto, and they talked a little bit about uh, that the new generation, you guys have become polymaths, which means that you learn everything or they, even the generation coming up beh be behind you. And it really becomes a space that, you know, kind of like talking, speaking about your dad or whatever, myself, I've never done a job for 46 years, but I've been in the workforce for over 30. And, but I've never been without a job for very long. I generally could kind of move. I could move within my career as a psychotherapist and a consultant. I could kind of say, well, I think I'll teach a bit and I'd move over there and kind of, you know, I would normally land as I was investigating, but those options seem to be lessened now. But the concept that the uh, researcher was talking about is that really we're in a world where gone are the days where they're thinking about uh, 10,000 hours in one small subset um, of a career. It's now that the, the new generation has to become a polymath in that that's where our new innovators are coming from because they have had to learn and adapt to so many things. Whereas mm -hmm. before, like your dad, maybe he learned certain things mm -hmm. and he could just kind of stay there and be guaranteed, you know, a, a 46 year career, but that's not the case now. Would you agree with that? Um, yeah, I, I definitely think that our, our generation and the generation underneath us, I definitely think that we have to pivot quite a bit. And really, I think that we're set up for change a lot better than the, the, the older generations. I definitely think that's true. So when, when, we when you talk a little bit about leadership and really, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, my generation is going to go off and the millennials are going to be the new leaders. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's going to be some boomers left behind that the millennials are going to be leading. So what, as a millennial, tell me, what makes it most difficult to work or to lead people that are not of your generation? What is it that they don't get? Because I, I always get that, right? right. That, you know, my generation, they kind of, you know, kicked us out at, the, at 21 and said, go out and live your life. And your generation, people held on more um, to kind of the helicopter parenting, which, you know, um, they, they didn't let you go as much because I think my, our generation was kind of holding on to say, Oh my goodness, this happened to me. So I'm going to make it a little bit easier in this generation, but I don't know, you know, kind of uh, how if that did well for you or if it's kind of, I think there's positive and negative. So tell me your perspective about when you're working with gen different generations, what's that, what are some of the positives that millennials bring and what are maybe potentially some of the negatives um, that, you get blamed for that sometimes maybe you think, oh yeah, I can see that. Or maybe that we can learn um, as, as other generations from you. 
Yeah. So previous um, to me becoming a, you know, going on my own solo journey and becoming an entrepreneur and a coach and starting the podcast, um, I was a teacher and then I transitioned into business. And when I was in business, I was in corporate management and leadership for a Fortune 500 company. Fantastic opportunity. And um, the one thing, the, the few things that I learned from, from that being a leader is that there are oftentimes discrepancies between what millennials need in a workplace versus what maybe a Gen Xer or maybe a boomer is used to or needs. So I feel like there are so many millennials who are motivated by their purpose. Mm -hmm. And they're motivated by what the company's mission is. So Simon Sinek, who I'm sure you're very familiar with, is very passionate about this topic of why. He has a fantastic set of books about finding your purpose. And he really tries to work with organizations to really hone in on their mission to attract millennials and to retain them. So I think that for everything that a lot of millennials have gone to, through, we, we went to college, we came, a lot of us came out with a lot of debt, right? We were in a situation where entry-level jobs are actually very competitive, okay? Mm -hmm. We found out that, you know, a lot of the time when you look at your rent costs and your student loan costs and every other cost you have, you may just be coming out even with the job that you have. Mm -hmm. Right. And so for us, I think that we are, since we've kind of just accepted that that's how it is, it's a little bit more challenging for us to save. We got kind of screwed over with 2008. I think for us, when we go to work for somebody, we want to know that one, we're valued and two, that this company has a mission. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like I, I know a paycheck definitely matters and a package and benefits, yes. all those things matter, but I've talked to more people people that I've brought onto my team and other people that I've just talked to in interviews, you know, I always ask, you know, what are, what is your motivation from this job or what is your motivation in a career? And more people who are in a millennial era would say that they're motivated by something purposeful. They're motivated by um, having autonomy and flexibility in their day to be creative. They're motivated by the values of the company and how they're treated. And they're motivated by helping others, by starting a project and ending a project well. Okay. And I feel like um, Gen Xers and boomers, while they definitely can believe those things and have that mindset. When I think about my parents and, and their friends, they were kind of told, kind of like what you said, okay, you're 21 go get a job, you know, for X amount of years, you better make that money, try to climb the corporate ladder, mm -hmm. you know, such and such and such. It's a grind. You go to work every day at eight o'clock. You're done at five, you know, every single day, right? You have two weeks of vacation every year. And I, I admire people who can do that for a long mm -hmm. period of time. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I do. I think it's absolutely incredible. I think that our generation, because of everything we've already been through, I think that we're just at the point where if we have to endure all bullshit that's already coming our way, we might as well work for someone or a company that gives us purpose and values us. We might as well do something that is meaningful and purposeful. Well, I think the creativity, if you think about all the research around creativity and innovation, it's really about having the individual connect internally to their why. Let's use Simon's, uh, you know, what's, what's your why? And if that's the alignment that millennials actually have, truly, we're talking about what I talk about, which is authenticity in leadership. So I talk yeah. a lot about, um, you know, awareness and you know what's the value what's your value what's your story why are you doing what you're doing and all the things that make you who you are as a leader 
And how are you impacting others around you? So gone are the days, you know, um, with the older generation where, you know, I remember my first job at 21. It was like, yes, I was in the field that I wanted to, but I was there to kind of take direction. And did I shelve some of those things uh, in order to make it happen? Absolutely. Now, now you will hear boomers and uh, Gen Xers say now, well, no, I value work-life balance. I value <laughs> all those things, but they kind of, sh we shelved it in a lot of ways, which is yeah. to some degree, that's not what millennials are doing. So millennials are kind of tipping things on its end mm -hmm. because as a, a boomer, um, say potentially managing uh, a millennial, I'm like, what? What do you mean? Like mm -hmm. you want to ask me how, why this is done this way. Just do mm -hmm. it that way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I feel like our generation is way more, we are curious and we really want to hone in on the, the why things are done certain ways, right? Like, why is it, why is it that there are a lot of organizations that still mandate their employees to work from eight to five or nine to five when they're fully capable and have the resources to offer a flexible day, right? As one, one of the benefits of this pandemic, if there are any, Right. One of the benefits is that there are so many companies that are recognizing that they are fully sustainable by having a lot of their staff work from home and they're probably actually saving some resources and some money or they're probably finding opportunities where they can where this whole thing is, is over. Another thing, too, is you have to look at our environment. Right. Like you have to look at pollution and traffic in Seattle. Traffic is awful. It's absolutely terrible. My my partner, he has to drive an hour and a half each way to work right? That's three hours out of his day. That's three hours out of his work-life balance. Now that he's been working from home, you know, it takes him 30 seconds to go to work. He's so much happier. He's getting just as much work done or more work done. His collaboration with his team via Zoom or whatever they use, fantastic. There's, there's nothing that is wrong about it. And he's recognizing that this type of living could actually reduce his stress and just make him feel more valued right? In Absolutely. his organization. Absolutely. So I think there, that, that is the positive. Actually, yesterday I was interviewing a CEO and that's what she was saying because they're ahead of the curve in that they have, um, they were doing virtual teams all yeah. along. Mm -hmm. So doing the shift, you know, but if you think about virtual uh, teams or working from home, it's about trust. So if yes. you think about, about the autocratic um, kind of top-down management, it's really, I, you know, this is, I'm going to date myself, but it was back in 2004. So I was a, a health and wellness uh, executive and there was a shift to go virtual. Big, big for us at that time. And I remember the CEO who was still, you know, uh, the owner wanted FaceTime. So he was having this concept, Jenna, of, okay, I know we need to do this, but how am I going to know what they're doing. So he had this whole conundrum in his brain about, so it really boiled down to trust. And after talking to the CEO yesterday, she was saying her teams have always demonstrated mm -hmm. that they perform, they, are, they feel valued, they feel purpose-driven. They feel like, um, she says, in her, in her opinion, which I loved um, what she was saying is, I try to bring out the leader in everybody. I am the CEO, but she said, okay, today you don't, you don't know what to call yourself. I'll call yourself the CEO. I don't care because I truly believe that in, within each person around me, that they are a leader. Mm. 
So I think that whole element is, you're right, we're going to put things into perspective from a hierarchical structure of do because I told you to, to what do you think we should do? Mm-hmm. Which is a completely different way of shifting. And what we know, it's better for people's mental well-being. It's better for work-life balance, like you talk about with your partner. Uh, people are getting up. They're able to maybe have breakfast with their families or their partners. They're able to go for bike rides with their, with their kids, you know, those types of things. And that's what I think um, in this day and age, it's, that, that's the benefit of, um, un- unfortunately, for us to have gotten uh, kind of here the way we did, but it's a benefit that we will gain. Absolutely. And the woman you talked to, she sounds like a great leader, by the way. Absolutely. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. She, she uh, you know, I'm writing my book on authenticity and leadership and teams. And she was one of the ones that uh, I wanted to interview because I think it's so valuable for people to hear the message, especially in this time. And her, her teams are relishing um, because they've already been doing it. That's amazing. That's amazing. When I, when I first went into corporate management, I was not a great leader or a great manager for a lot of different reasons, right? And it took months for me to really evolve and, and, and really change and develop. But once I really started evolving and really started changing, I took this approach of, I think when I first went into leadership, I took this approach of, I'm the boss, right? <laughs> and you report to me because that's all I saw and that's all I kind of knew. And the business I was in was so fast paced that I didn't really even have time to reflect on what type of leader and manager would be most effective for my team to really grow the business and grow them professionally. So it took time for me to really evolve and and develop and, and such and such. But once I got my stride going and once I really started, you know, building a team of people, I recognized that the most important thing that a leader could be is a coach. Mm-hmm. And a coach is not someone that tells you what to do. A coach mm-hmm. is someone that uses questioning to bring it out of their team, mm-hmm. right? And a coach is someone who encourages their team and loves them and doesn't use fear to motivate them. <laughs> they use love and they use drive and they use passion and they use purpose. And so I started slowly taking that approach, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how I felt like my, my team was built and we were, you know, and we were successful and we were driving while I was there. But that took a long time for me to get to because I was, you know, young when I took this position and I didn't have any corporate management experience and everything was so fast. And, and all I knew were the executives on top who were Gen Xers and boomers. And they were mm. so used to, you know, telling you what to do. Now I know that worked for them. They got to a place for a reason, but that was so hard for me. I tried it and my authenticity pushed back right? Mm-hmm. This is not working for me. And I had to completely pivot my leadership style. And I'm so glad that I did. Well, I think we, you know, the older generations, uh, the Xers and the boomers can learn from millennials, because I think truly, uh, would we have liked to have, have purpose-driven lives throughout, throughout? Absolutely. Because we think, oh, we'll get to that, right? When I get, you know, out of early leadership and into, you know, kind of, I'm found my grounding, then I'll, then I'll demonstrate it. But what happens is, is you get into a pattern, like a holding pattern, and then to change it back becomes difficult, which, whereas with millennials, um, they're kind of, they're interviewing the company as much as the company's interviewing them, which really, that's kind of bravado to, you know, it's like, whoa, what do you mean? Like, I want to see what are you about and, and, and what is your value and your, your purpose in this company and do I see that fit? Which I actually think uh, as much as it's gutsy, it's actually what we're, what we're finding is better with mental health and well-being for people's career. Because let's, let's face it, I started working at 21, I'm 54 now. 
right? I've been working for a very long time. And to be for most of us that have come, maybe shelf things along the way, we're going to pick it up at what point, right? Sometimes you run out of that and go, oh my goodness, I was going to do this in my 40s and it didn't happen in my 50s and I'm almost at the point where I'm going to retire. So I think that's a valuable lesson that I think uh, can be learned. What, else, what other lessons do you think that millennials can teach or do teach, but maybe gets misconstrued <laughs> as that, right. yeah, you know, be, you know, they're, they're, they're stepping up and they're not, fi- they're not finding their space. What, what are some of the other lessons? Right. I'm actually going to piggyback off of, of what you just said. I'm glad that you actually, you know, mentioned that, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of people who are Gen Xers or boomers, they say, I'm going to wait to X, Y, Z until they retire or until they're older. Right. I think that I'll, just with the, um, ability for us to see the news all the time on our phones, on social media, you know, we, we get news quickly. So for example, Kobe Bryant's death. Okay. I'm not a Kobe Bryant fan. I know he was a great basketball player, but everybody knew about his death within like five minutes of it being posted. Like everyone around the world, it seemed like, and that impacted so many people, regardless if they were true Kobe Bryant fans or just in general. I talked to a lot of my friends who said, you know, they respected Kobe for who he was. They weren't a fan, but it hit them so hard because they realized that debt, your, your life is not guaranteed. Mm. Life does not wait for anybody and death does not wait for you at all. So this idea that, okay, we're going to work our whole lives until we're 65 and then retire and then have this grand, you know, 30 years, that idea is not guaranteed. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of millennials and I know there are boomers and Gen Xers that understand this too, but I think a lot of millennials are really grasping that concept more mm-hmm. of, okay, so what if I'm at this job that I hate, but I, you know, it's, it's prepping me every single thing for my retirement at 65, I'm counting down the days. Well, what if I die in 10 years? What if I mm-hmm. die in 15 years? What if we have another crazy pandemic like this and everything washes out? Why don't we, why don't we, yes, of course, we need to save for our retirement and invest. That is so important. But why don't we focus on the present and the day by day? Why don't we focus on doing things that make us feel good and make us feel joyful and, and do work that is more meaningful? Because my, my next 10 years aren't guaranteed. Tomorrow is not guaranteed for me. So I don't want to slave away at a job or be in a relationship, right? Or a marriage or something that is not working for me just to get to that end date in 30 some, like 30 years where I can just be living my life now. So I feel like that is, that's a huge takeaway. And I think that's a huge lesson that, that millennials are, um, can, can offer to older generations. And to your point about the fast, you know, the fact that we're so, you're so plugged in, right? The internet came in what, yeah. what year in the early nineties or something. Something like and, that. Yeah. And prior to that, there was, there was life Jenna before that. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, but really the shift, um, you know, I have an 18 year old son and he's not known anything without being yeah. connected. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, now it, it, it does change the psyche. And even now the time that we're in, what is it going to do to the young kids who are going through this whole space too? The, the, the gen, gen Zs, like what's, what are they? The ones that are in university now mm-hmm. um, that are just coming out, you know, that are in their third or fourth years or whatever, or in their masters, what reality is that going to shift in them? 
Yeah, and I, I've thought about that quite a bit. I have a friend who is, um, he's in his MBA program. He's technically a millennial because he's 28, but there are a few people in his MBA program that are younger. They, you know, got a head start and they're in their MBA program and they're in their early 20s. And he was, I asked him, I just said, you know, how, how are, what are your peers thinking, whether they're millennials or not? What are, what are they thinking right now? And he said, they are absolutely terrified mm. because they are in these prestigious MBA programs that cost them so much money. And now, you know, they're not even sure if they can get a job after this, you know, and these prestigious programs, they're not sure mm -hmm. if they will get a job, you know, this fall or this winter or even next year. Mm -hmm. And so they are terrified now. So now I'm thinking about this younger generation and how it could almost be the exact same cycle that the millennials went through in 2008, 2009. And I have empathy for them. Of course, because the reality is we don't know what it's going to look like. We know yeah. we've already seen it in the short term. We do see, like you said, the unemployment, you know, has already started to, um, you know, people were applying for uh, uh, business benefit here in Canada yesterday. And there was uh, something like 240,000 applications for mm -hmm. this, this, mm -hmm. you know, it's not unemployment insurance, but it's a, a benefit to help business owners and 240,000 people had already applied for it by 11 o'clock uh, yesterday and it opened <sighs> yesterday morning. Mm -hmm. So that's showing you the state of things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I think unless on t we have to wait and, and see how it shakes out, but I, we know definitely in whatever realm, everybody's economy will have to, you know, rebuild at some point. So when, one more thing. Do you mind if I add one more thing to that too? Yeah, absolutely. The, in the United States, you know, we have this, this huge stimulus package that is coming. Um, and basically, I think it's if you make less than 99000 US dollars, then you're eligible for, I, I believe, think it's $1,200. Okay. Okay. Now, it, it, and for people who live in um, large cities, New York, mm -hmm. uh, Miami, LA, San Francisco, Seattle, Denver, okay. That I've heard from a lot of people, from friends through Twitter, you know, different millennials saying that they do not like that stimulus package because there are a lot of people, one, who are making more than $99,000, especially in those areas. And just because that may sound like a lot of money to people in areas such as Seattle, it's really expensive to live here. Right. So rent is high. Everything else is so expensive. So even if someone is making, let's say, a hundred grand a year, that could be equivalent to something way less, right? In, in a different city. So from from what I've heard is that a lot of people in these major cities aren't that impressed with this first stimulus package because the twelve hundred dollars they're either not going to be able to get it and they're still going to struggle, or if they do qualify for it, that doesn't even cover half of their rent. Probably not the rent. Yeah. I'm thinking in New York City. Oh my know, gosh! Or, or, or in Seattle, like like 1,200 is is not going to cover someone's rent. That's, so I think that's nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. we will, we'll, we'll see a lot of disparity based on some of these uh, stimulus packages. Um, so hopefully, as as we go through this and our governments look at it, they will make yeah. amendments accordingly to be able to adjust based on some of the things that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about you know your you're young, you're, you're, you know, you've been in management, you've done the traditional schooling bit, you know, all that stuff. And um, you gained wisdom about going inside and kind of leading from that space, which, which is, you know, that's what was the alignment when we chatted initially about um, authenticity and yours is leading from the gut with your, with your uh, podcast. So tell me, 
how did you get connected to that space within yourself to be able to create what you've created? Yeah, absolutely. So I, long story short, I've had two major careers and now I'm finally at my purpose. That's kind of how I like to call it. So for years I was an elementary school teacher and I absolutely loved teaching. I taught fifth grade most of the time, loved it. Um, And then I uh, transitioned into business and it was the reason why I I quit my pension job, right? It's like my parents like to say, secure (laughs) job, doing something super And they were probably shaking their head going, oh my goodness, what are you doing? Oh my gosh, yeah, it was was hard for them to comprehend. Um, And I even went to get my master's degree in education, right? Mm. So, you know, the, the, the reason why the moment that I decided that I needed to switch that career was actually um, when Oprah Winfrey, the Oprah Winfrey mm-hmm. was here in Seattle doing a tour and it was like your life weekend or something like that tour in Seattle is like years ago. And I went to the, to the conference, the three day conference, and I cried the entire time mm-hmm. because there was something in my gut that was telling me that as much as I love teaching and as much as I am good at it, this wasn't the final step for me. Mm. There was something more out there. And it was this painful gut feeling that lasted for months. Oh, right? wow. Like this was my first, I feel like this was my first alignment with my intuition where it was really strong. And it made no sense. It made mm. no sense. Why would I leave a great pension, stable job, teaching kids? I'm good mm. at it. I love it. Everyone likes Michelle Min. Made no sense. But I decided that I needed to embrace it and leave. Mm. And that was one of the hardest things I have ever done. And there's so much shame that came from it. A little externally, but a lot internally. Mm. Long story short, I transitioned into business working for a five, Fortune 500 company. And it was because a lot of my friends said, Jenna, you'd be really good in sales. You're a people person. I bet you can take your talents and education and trans transition them to business. Okay, sure. I thought, why not? I've always kind of thought about being an entrepreneur, but I didn't really know. I just felt it in my gut. I just felt it, but I didn't know what it meant. I just knew that why don't I just follow it and see what happens? I have nothing to lose. So I ended up becoming very successful at this organization. I was promoted twice. I paid off all my student loan debt. You know, I I got a lot in retirement and investing. I saved a lot. I was able to travel. I learned so much with this organization. I, you know, grew my, my clientele list, helped businesses, clients, my team, all these things. It was honestly a great experience. But about a year ago at this time, a little bit, maybe like 16 months ago, I started getting this feeling again in my gut. Mm. And I was like, why now? Why? <laughs> I'm doing really well yeah. <laughs> financially. I have a really good title. I am leading people. I'm helping my clients. Mm. Why is my gut telling me that this isn't it? Why am I feeling depressed? Why am I feeling anxious? So I sat on it for months and I just kind of processed it. And it was like every day it got worse. It was like I heard these voices in my head coming from my gut and coming from, you know, a higher being. Jenna, you've done well here. It's time to pivot again. Time Mm -hmm. to move on. Mm -hmm. Time to move on. So it wasn't until last August that it was so bad where I was getting physically sick. My body was making me get sick because it was just trying to tell me that it was time to move. And I wasn't, I was so scared to embrace that fear. I finally decided to do it and it was really hard. Long story short, my last day was technically in October and 
you know, it, it took some time for me to adjust to, okay, I'm not working. I don't know what I'm doing. My gut told me to leave this very high paying job. What am I doing? But it took a little bit of time. But as soon as I kind of got out of that space, I started really focusing on myself and my well-being and really started getting aligned and in tune with myself. And something that I wanted to do that kind of came up one day was I would I would really like to be on some type of platform and do something really inspirational for other people just mm. for fun, just for fun. Might as well focus on hobbies. I didn't really know what any of my hobbies were besides going to the gym and cooking and walking my dog. You know, I didn't have any like hobbies and I knew that I was a very creative person, but I wanted to see if, if I could find some of my talents and passions through these hobbies while just not working. So I thought of, okay, well, why don't I do a podcast? And I thought, well, a lot of my friends and my peers listen to podcasts, so can't be that hard. So I started my podcast. I just watched a couple of YouTube videos and figured it out, the tech piece, all of it. I got my mic and everything for less than $300. And, you know, I set up like four people to be on my podcast. And the idea of intuition was so strong because I was thinking about how I left teaching and how my intuition told me to do it. And it led me to a, a, the right path. And then I left this high paying job and I just knew that it was going to lead me to another right path. So I thought my intuition has told me to do all these things and I think it's right. I'm curious to know if other people have had their intuition tell them something and have, have led them down a path, regardless of what that is with the relationship or job or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I reached out to three, four friends and who I thought were kind of cool that listened to their intuition. And they said, yeah, they'll be on the show. I thought that literally five people would listen to it. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought. I said, that's oh, fun little passion project. Not a big deal. Something inspirational. And I released my first episode right after Thanksgiving. And an episode has come out every Wednesday, except for the Christmas and New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. And the podcast has just grown, mm. which is great. It, it, I, I'm shocked that people are listening to it, <laughs> honestly, you know, and, and the people, the guests, the people that want to be on the show and the topics that we go over. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've talked about things such as intuition and cancer. We've talked about career change. We've talked about divorce. We've talked about relationships. We've talked about domestic violence, grief, um, being a medium. We've talked about um, workplace culture. Like there's, you know, there's so much content that can go into this podcast. And so just by starting the podcast really opened up the door to so many different opportunities and really allowed me to see my creativity. Mm. Something that I didn't realize about myself fully was that maybe it's obvious to other people, but wasn't obvious to me is that I'm a good communicator, mm -hmm. whether it's verbally or writtenly, right? I'm a good listener. I can write content. I love to produce. I like to create. All these things started coming out. I like helping people that I, I kind of knew before this, but not really. And so I'm thinking, oh, wow, I'm discovering all these different things about myself. And, and with the podcast, you know, one of the best things about it is that I get, you know, um, social media DMs and emails and texts saying, I love this one episode. Your guest inspired me this way, you know, mm. and that right there has been more powerful than the stats of the show. You know, Amazing. I'm used to coming from a job, a sales, op sales job where you're looking at metrics and stats all the time. That's right. how you, that's how you gauge your performance with this podcast. Sure. I look at them, but honestly, after a while I thought, you know, I'm actually going to measure this based on the reviews that I'm getting and the impact that it's 
that it's um, done on people versus you know how many people are actually listening. So with all of that, that's opened the door and that actually helped me tap into my purpose, which is to empower people, specifically millennials, to really embrace their fear, hone in on their intuition and really live a purpose-driven life. So that's how the coaching Kind of came from it, and it you know yeah. that that will be valuable now with with this space we're going to go into, yes. um, you know with with my coaching, uh, you know with uh, as being with my background in psychotherapy and corporate consulting, um, this is the time because it's all about resilience, right? Really, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, because we will get through this. It may not kind of morph into what we think it should look like, mm-hmm. but we we got we got through lots of different things, right? Through the, if you think about the crash and H1N1 and 9-11, all that stuff. We got through it. Um, We will get through this, but what will be need, what people will need is because I I think a lot of people are at home, Jenna, rethinking a lot of things, meaning purpose. If if this was my last day, which is the kind of work that I do. And and Mm -hmm. obviously you're, you're helping them listen to that deep inner voice. And I often say that we all have it. And we're born with it. It gets pricked and prodded along the way. It gets blunted and, and, and it kind of gets dusty. And then there comes a point when that alignment comes and there's no, there's no turning away from it. And I can, t- I can think of my life multiple times where I've gotten that and I've ignored it. And then I've thought, oh my goodness, yeah. had I just have stopped? Because when I look back and I went, it was right there. It was right in my face, but I didn't want to look at it at that time. Mm-hmm. So I think if those are the conversations you're having, absolutely. Um, there'd be valuable and it'll be more so because we're, I think we're the other benefit that I see to this is that we're becoming more enlightened um, mm-hmm. uh, in the world about who and what is important and how, um, you know, we're, we're in a space in the world where how materialistic people have become and it's all, all about possessions and all those yeah. things. It's it, we're, we're stripping, really, we're stripping it all away. Mm-hmm. And we're thinking about, we just need to be able to get to the grocery store, get to the pharmacy you know, all those basic things. But other than that, where are we going? We're going, you know, we're just kind of having to, to look at really all the great things that we really have. And really, if you think about it, what's in your home and, and those types of things, it, we're blessed in a lot. So we're so, all very blessed. So blessed, so blessed. And I, I think you're completely right. I think that our, I think that as a whole, we are going back to Maslow's law, mm-hmm. right? Shelter, food, water at the bottom. Yep right? You know, the, the little things that we need, we don't really need all these material materialistic items yeah, yeah. in our and life. I, and I think the world kind of got lost along the way there oh, in, yeah. in lots of different ways. So mm-hmm. we're, it's almost like we're being, you know, chopped off at the knees and now we're like, okay, I have to learn how to function and go back to some of the basics. So I think that's the value that, um, yeah. that we're gaining here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people talk about being stuck with their families or whatever, but you know, really it will never get back this time again yeah. to be able to say, um, you know, that we had that time and, and learning. I'm sure a lot of people are learning things that they maybe don't want to learn about themselves and their family exactly. yep. and, or they're learning about really what, what am I made out of? What do I value? What's my purpose? Mm-hmm. What's my meaning? You know, if with things kind of not stopping out here, you have to stop and say, what, how am I going to, how am I going to deal with this world, whatever it's going to look like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Which I think it doesn't happen generally to that point where everything gets stopped like it did two and a half weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. Another thing that I like to just a good mantra to have is to say, 
embrace uncertainty, mm-hmm. you know, and then just to surrender, whatever that means to you. There are so many things that you can control, but then there's a lot in your life that you cannot control like a global pandemic. Well, right. Yeah. And you have to fully surrender to this. So I'm sure there's a lot of people, um, millennials and otherwise, that probably would love to tune into your podcast and maybe yeah. even, uh, you know, uh, millennial leaders or people that are just coming out, the uh, Gen Zs that are saying, wow, I, I, need, to, I need to learn more. So mm-hmm. tell, tell us a little bit about where they can uh, listen to the podcast, what time and um, where they can reach you if they're interested in, in coaching. Yeah, absolutely. So for the podcast, you can go to all the major directories, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, It's leading with your gut. Uh, There's a new episode every single Wednesday. So hopefully, hopefully you shouldn't miss it. If you are interested in my coaching services, I do have a website. It's leadingwithyourgut.com. Heads up, it is under construction right now. So depending on when this airs, not sure if okay. it'll be available yet. You can also, you can email me directly. It's leadingwithyourgut.com. And Roxanne, I'll give you that um, link if you want to put it in the show notes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, for all, all new individuals, I offer a free 60-minute virtual coaching session. Um, awesome. We can, yeah, really dive into what your fears are, really go into your goals, um, and then talk about your purpose. Uh, so that's definitely open for everybody. I do have a few other services. I do one-on-one coaching, individualized coaching. I'm actually in the process right now of creating online educational courses. Um, I do have a free course. It's a how to create smart goals that you can find on my website. Um, I'm also going to start working with corporations to do new manager training. And I want to get into the education space to do new teacher training since I was a teacher. I know how how hard that is. And then finally, I'm helping some people too, who are already purpose-driven and just kind of need like a start to get going, doing some consulting for them. So writing content for their website or their podcasts or videos or ads or something like that, just to kind of get them going. So you can either go to my website, leadingwithyourgut.com, or you can email me directly, leadingwithyourgut at gmail.com. And we'll make sure that all the links are in the show notes. So, uh, you know, by all means, and if you get stuck or something, just reach out to me and I'll, I'll, I'll uh, make sure that you get connected with Jenna. So what am I taking away today? I'm taking away that um, we can learn so much uh, from millennials and they are really, you are the good, you are the leaders now and from going to be for, you know, the next 20, 30 years, right? So we need to recognize that there are things that we can learn. And with, with our mental health and well-being, um, innovation and creativity comes from having people lead from within. And that's truly what I talk about, which is about being authentic and connected and valuing whatever message people bring. Uh, so that's what I think I gained today is to really you know, if you're, that's what leaders are doing today, that's a valuable thing that we need to take into the next generation and mm-hmm. uh, assist um, and pass that on to the uh, Gen Zs that are going to come along. So again, um, you know, please connect with Jenna if, if that's uh, something that you're interested in. You know that I'm a mental health and wellness consultant. If you're wanting to talk about mental resilience, uh, we can do a virtual uh, coaching call, or I also have an online course, um, and you can go to RoxanneDurhodge.com. 
Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.